Part four of the queer review of Dr. No explores the girls and we very much pick up the theme from part one of seeing Bond somewhere on that masculinity femininity spectrum. But where do the girls lie on that spectrum? You go girls. Right from the beginning, Bond's girls are so fiercely independent that referring to them possessively as Bonds seems somewhat inappropriate. As we established in part one, with Bond's introductory scene, Sylvia Trench is established as more masculine than he is in several vital ways. Let's look at a dress first. Um, a red dress can signify many things about the wearer. Fashion scholar Julia Brucchilieri says, the color red, like women themselves, contains multitudes. In some ways, it's cute, but it can also be powerful, sexy, sensual, and erotic. And of course, it's bold and beautiful. Now, Trenchy's dress certainly draws our attention as filmgoers. Scholarship by Dr. Luella Chapman, the author of Fashioning James Bond, has revealed that the dress began life as a piece of fabric that was merely chosen for its color. It was fashioned into a dress that was so loosely held together on set that it could only be shot from certain angles. It looks like it could fall off at any moment, which is perhaps the intention. Trench is set up as more than a match for Bond with his sport sex ready cocktail cups, which shows he doesn't have time for fiddling about with cufflinks when he or someone else needs to take his shirt off in a hurry. Like Bond, Trench isn't afraid to integrate the masculine and feminine. When Bond discovers her playing golf in his apartment, she's wearing one of his shirts, a pair of gold high heels and, we presume, nothing else. Walt Odets, the psychologist we talked about in part one, observes that anxiety about gender sensibility as expressed through clothing is long-standing, citing the biblical prohibition a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. A piece from Deuteronomy. Try telling that to James Bond, who in the films, the film of Fond of Majesty's Secret Service, he wears Tracy's robe. And tell that to all of those Bond girls who have worn his shirts over the years. What has become known as the sexy shirt switch cinematic trope, where a woman wears a man's shirt. It's become a trope in part because of the Bond films, although it was actually starting to appear in films as early as the 1950s. According to media historian Moya Luckett, the image of a woman in a man's shirt is appealing to men because it allows them to live a James Bond fantasy of a string of disposable women passing through their lives. Eunice Gason as Sylvia Trench helped to establish the trope, albeit with a queer twist. The trope is most commonly employed to denote that coitus has taken place. Trench is wearing Bond's shirt prior to sex, indicating that Bond may be excited at the prospect of a woman with some masculine qualities, or at least clothing. And this is not an isolated incident. Bond being attracted to masculine featured women will recur across this film, and many of those to come, as well as being rooted in Fleming. I'm just looking. According to Dr. No's director, Terence Young, Sylvia Trench was supposed to be completely naked in this scene where she meets Bond in his apartment. Terence Young spends a sizable proportion of the so-called band laser disc commentary from the early 1990s 
bemoaning what he couldn't get away with in terms of female nudity. Although, to be fair, he doesn't miss any opportunity to draw our attention to Connery's muscles either. He's an equal opportunities objectifier, as can be seen from what made it into the finished film of Dr. No. I'm very wary of stealing the girl's thunder here, but it's worth noting quite how much we see of Connery and how much the camera treats him, in cinematic terms, like a girl. As Laura Mulvey famously alerted us to in 1975, a consequence of most films being made by straight men is that the camera lingers on women's bodies, inviting the viewer to gaze on at them, turning them into sexual objects. Very infrequently do men get the same treatment. And when they do, they receive little in the way of critical attention. Toby Miller, someone else we encountered in part one with his famous essay on James Bond's penis and cultural imperialism, is one of the few academics who have spent as much time on Bond's body as the women's. He says, the process of bodily commodification through niche targeting has identified men's bodies as objects of desire and gay men and straight women as consumers. While there are even signs of lesbian desire as a target, masculinity is no longer the exclusive province of men, either as spectators, consumers or agents of power. And Bond was an unlikely harbinger of this trend. In Doctor No, everyone wants to take a longer look at Bond. It's a classic cinematic trick to direct our gaze by having a character's eyes follow another character around a space. Something that happens in every Bond film, more or less. There's a really, really good example of this in Diamonds Are Forever, so check out the queer review of that if you're interested. The receptionist of Bond's Jamaica Hotel does it most obviously in Doctor No, tracking her gaze down his body as he turns away, inviting us to do the same. Although it would take until 2006's Casino Royale to truly balance the books, having Daniel Craig reenact Riders Walk Through the Waves, the camera loves Connery in Doctor No, and Young doesn't shy away from finding the best angle to show off his star. Connery spends a significant amount of the screen time nearly naked, and we're all here for it. Only a very insecure straight man would have a problem with admiring his form, surely. Anyway, back to the girls. I promise I won't steal your shells. Just as our gaze was drawn to Bond by looking at others' eyelines, we are first shown Honey Rider through Bond, although it's another sense that forms our first impression of her, our hearing. It's not Ursula Andress singing underneath the mango tree, but Diana Coopland, then wife of composer Monty Norman. The lyrics of the song establish Ryder as someone who is closer to nature than Bond. Mangoes, bananas, tangerines, but no less of a sexual animal. Me honey and me make boolu loop soon. Boolu loop being a euphemism for coitus. The full version of the song, not heard in the film, but included on the soundtrack, is a romantic ballad which tells a pretty predictable heteronormative tale of marriage followed by raising children, nine of them. Maybe it's just me, but I think Honey Rider might have other plans, at least in the interim. She has ambitions of being a call girl in Fleming's novel, an idea Bond isn't terribly keen on. Like with Sylvia Trench earlier in the film of Doctor No, the original plan was to have Honey appear wearing even less than a bikini. 
If they had reproduced her appearance exactly as it appears in the novel, there would have been scandal. Even so, the idea of her being Botticelli's Venus reaches the screen mostly intact, down to the shells she's clutching. Shells are a common symbol of female power because of their vaginal appearance, an analogue for the symbol of male power omnipresent in Bond films, phallic-shaped guns. Filmmaker Mark Cousins calls the scene where Honey Rider steps out of the ocean a dream sequence, perhaps because of its abstract qualities. Or perhaps we've seen her picture somewhere before. Fleming references Botticelli's Venus to describe Honey. Specifically, she's Venus seen from behind, which would require considerable imagination as Botticelli never gave us the rear view. Even more curious is Fleming describing Ryder's behind as almost as firm and rounded as a boy's, something his gay friend Noel Coward pretended to find shocking when he read the finished manuscript of Dr. No. Perhaps Fleming was aware that Botticelli himself was probably gay and combined aspects of male and female beauty in his depiction of mythical figures. The Renaissance painter was a good friend of another famous queer artist, Leonardo da Vinci, who also incorporated androgyny into his work. Perhaps this is what Fleming himself found appealing. Venus, aka Aphrodite in Greek mythology, is sometimes thought of as the personification of softer femininity, balancing out the harder warbringer Mars. Like all mythological characters, though, various versions exist. In most ancient texts, she plays a vital role in absorbing and tempering the male essence, uniting the extremes of male and female. The same is true in Honey's portrayal in Dr. No. Ryder is feminized by her association with nature in contrast with the comparatively masculine urbanite bond. But like mother nature, Ryder exerts power over her natural world. Like Dr. No tries to do with Bond via Dent, she has previously employed a spider, a female black widow no less, to destroy her enemy, the man who raped her. She also explains to Bond how a praying mantis eats her husband after making love. Note the heteronormative assumption that even mantises get married. Is this a warning for Bond to take things slowly? Ryder is given additional impetus for seeking to destroy the male power which controls Cab Key. We're told Dr. No murdered her marine zoologist father. This is an addition to the film which does not appear in Fleming's text. Strangely, although Ryder has less of a personal investment in the book, she has far more agency in the book. She's the one who comes up with the idea of hiding from Dr. No's patrolling guards by using the reed's snorkels and rescues herself rather than wait for Bond to get around to it. And in the closing pages, she orders Bond to strip naked. And when he objects, she boldly tells him to do as you're told. The last words of the novel, in fact. Can we imagine if such a scene had closed out the film and become the convention for the Bond film series that followed? In the book and film of Dr. No, Ryder is not a demure, delicate flower. She's more like her shells, with their tough exteriors and concealed inner life. She only becomes truly vulnerable when she's approaching the dinner with Dr. No, where she is relieved to find that Bond's palms are sweaty also. 
He drops the macho facade and admits to her that he too is scared. Vulnerability is an aphrodisiac for this modern day Aphrodite. In the final part of the Queer Review of Dr. No podcast, I'll go through what I see as the camp qualities of this film and also suggest my queer verdict ranked out of seven. Perhaps you may want to think about how queer this film feels in relation to the other Bond films. <laughs>